You have found Authentic Business Adventures, the business program that brings you the struggle stories and triumphant successes of business owners across the land. We're locally underwritten by the Bank of Sun Prairie. If you are listening or would love to listen to some audio episodes that you can download at no cost, you can always go to drawincustomers.com and hit the podcast link. We are excited because selling businesses is always a good time, right? That's uh, <laughs> It's just like a boat, right? The two good days, I think, when you buy it. The two it, good days, buy it and sell it, right. Start it and then when you sell it, right? So today we're welcoming slash preparing to learn from Richard Parker of Diomo Corporation, the Business Buyer Resource Center. So Richard, you are helping businesses get bought and sold, I imagine. Yeah, that's uh, spot on. I, I've been in this uh, game for over 30 years on all sides of the uh, M&A world. You, you, you look shocking because maybe you figured I look even older than there, that. Did uh, but... you start when you were four? <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah, no, I'm an old fart. I, I, I'm 62 years old right now. And uh, so I started really when I was... Uh, 29 and in february february 1st it's going to be 34 years that i've been doing this and uh, wow. when i say doing this started out buying businesses and then evolved into uh, helping some people uh, acquire some business started to get a bit of a reputation where i grew up in montreal and did that more on a, in a on a casual basis and then started acquiring more and more companies and uh, to date i've acquired 13 of them plus one co-investment and a huge range of sizes from like fifty thousand dollar businesses up to over 200 million and uh, along the way i was involved in a transaction shortly after i relocated to florida in 1996 and as I was digging into the business as a business I was looking to acquire, it wasn't a huge uh, acquisition. It was a little over a million dollars, which I guess is large enough and certainly was significant at the time for me. And uh, as I was going through at a price and deal terms, you know, all set and embarked upon the due diligence and uh, found the, there was just a lot of shenanigans going on. And I'm not suggesting that there was fraudulent activity, but there was multiple companies and they're moving money from one company to the other and paying bills from one that were incurred expenses from the other. It was really uh, like, I like to describe it like a whole plate of spaghetti. And um, it, it really in, uh, incentivized me and, and uh, my curiosity peaked as far as, you know, what does the average person do is looking to buy a business? What do they do to go about it? I, I'm not a, a smart guy. I just happened to have been doing it for a long time. So I was able to identify the problems. And I, when I told the owner that I was, wasn't buying the business and walked out of his place, I, was, I remember like it was yesterday, standing in the parking lot saying, you know, the average schmuck would have bought this business. And that really motivated me to find out like, what's out there. It was the start of the internet really. And I spent a year doing uh, research related to this whole subject matter. And after interviewing hundreds of prospective business buyers, others who had bought businesses, some had turned out good, some had turned out poorly, business brokers, accountants, attorneys realized that there was really no good resources for buyers. And I had looked at a hundred plus businesses at that point and decided that, you know what, I, I really wanted to provide something valuable to people that are looking to change their lives, realize their dreams of business ownership and really memorialize all my files. I kept unbelievable files of every transaction, everything I did, what happened, the outcome, good, bad, and otherwise, and said, you know what, I want to put it, um, I want to put it to paper to show people how to walk through this whole process, tell them what they need to do, uh, what they need to know, what they need to do, and how to do it. And I had no aspirations for this turning into a business. I, I really wanted to just help one person. I mean, that was, that was my goal. It was never done for money. And um, lo and behold, here we are, you know, the, uh, 
bunch of years later and sold over a hundred thousand copies of this program and helped thousands and thousands of people. And, um, and I've stayed in the world of M and a buying and selling and helping people and representing sellers in, in the lower market, you know, what's considered businesses about a million to $10 million of EBITDA. But my true love has really been on the buy side of helping smaller main street USA type business buyers or or uh, aspiring entrepreneurs and and dreaming business owners to help them get to the finish line. And I spend most of my days doing that, answering calls and emails. I never charge people. I just really enjoy it. I'm not motivated by the money. So it's um, that provides a real nice umbrella of of help to everything. And it's 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 worked out unbelievably. And and it's like I said, I'm just incredibly proud of how many people we've been able to help. Nice. Richard, I'm listening to you and I'm 30 years of doing anything. Seems like a long time. And I well, can it's imagine... not a long time if you love it. No, fair. Totally fair. I'm just thinking 30 years of deal making. And especially when I'm thinking the internet was way infancy 30 years ago. Oh, was it ever? I mean, it, when I started, when I, this, the, the deal that I was looking at that I referred to happened in 1999. So that was the internet bubble. Yeah. When I started looking into this and really educating myself about resources, so you had, you know, like local score chapters of the SBA and and the library, right? And then you remember had those? the yeah, remember <laughs> those and then you had the internet, but the internet at that point and just pre-bubble bubble bursting was everything was free. And despite the fact that I never went into this for the financial aspect of things, my thinking at that point was as long as all this information, no one was really selling a lot of merchants. You had Amazon, but you know, their stock I think was at like $67 at that point or something. But, yeah. 99. That's yeah, something books. like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Books. They were selling books, but my feeling was as long as all this information was going to be free, it probably wasn't going to have a whole lot of value because it cost nothing that, if you're going to give it away from free, how much time were people really going to invest or quality people going to invest to provide information that was really valuable versus someone who has nothing to gain, nothing to lose, just putting shit on the internet, excuse my French, right? No, you're good. <laughs> and, and so that thinking was, well, if, if I'm going to do this and take, you know, leverage the internet because I was really fascinated by it. I think I've got to wait till this evolves because it's either going to turn into something where it's going to be this great marketplace of, of value or it's just going to disappear. I mean, that's what I was thinking, especially because you had this bubble. And shortly thereafter, within a couple of years, it started to make this shift towards, um, you know, people monetizing information and products and services. And that's why I felt that going down the road of the internet versus publishing a, a traditional book would make a whole lot more sense because the internet would ultimately reach, you know, global proportions. I mean, it was still in its infancy. So I think about how much has evolved over 20 years. You raise a good point, but that was my thinking. And, and, and 
I'm not smart. It just happened to evolve that way. And, and I mean, I could have never dreamed. I don't think anyone would dream what it, what it would have turned into. But that was how I went down the road of self-publishing and, and, and trying this thing on the internet because I thought I can get the word out, maybe write some good articles and help, you know, uh, uh, provide some information, not misinformation, but factual, real world um, information that's practical and do it in a way aligned with websites that were um, formidable and and uh, reputable and and that's how it ultimately evolved that is cool oh i just want to reiterate this for the people that are sub 40 years old to help them understand <laughs> paint a picture here google wasn't a search engine back then i don't even know no if it was sir me back then no You're talking Netscape or something like that. There was Net Overture was one. Overture. There was, there was Ask Jeeves. Oh yeah. Ask Jeeves and Google. Shortly thereafter, if you recall, Google didn't have ads. Google was just a search engine. There was um um oh my god, Lycos. Oh wow, L Y C O S. Yeah yeah. L Y C O S Lycos. I think Earthlink might have been one of them. Oh yeah. So there was the all, none of those even exist anymore. But even Google, when it started for not for quite a while, had no ads. Like if you go and search on Google now, you have all those sponsored links and mm -hmm. advertisers. Mm -hmm. And that's where they generate like gobs of money. But remember early on, they said, no, we're not going to allow any advertising on this website. You know, we're, yeah, we're, they, we're remaining they, pure to the search and whatever. Yeah. See how long that lasted, right? It changed from... <laughs> do no evil or something like that. Yes. To something else. Yeah. Do as much one. evil as possible. Right. <laughs> we had pay-per-clicks when we launched the website and this was April 23rd, 2001. Okay. So oh, right at the bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Right at the bubble. I had someone designed the website. And when I sat down to write this material, part of my research went into, um, speaking with a lot of people who had written books and what have you, and, and, and or con, or conversations with individuals. And it was amazing to me how many people I came across who said, oh yeah, like I'm writing a book and said, how long you've been writing? And they tell me 17 years, you know, oh, yeah. they never got it published or others that, um, you know, just, um, you know, never got around to doing it. And when I sat down to write it, I said, I, I put together unbelievable notes and, and, and a framework, which I call this uh, you know, thinking tree of all the subject matter and all the situations and said, you know what, there's no way I'm not going to, get this published and I said I gave I sat down to write it on January 1st 2001 and it was my mother's 70th birthday on March 31st of that year and I said I'm getting it written to complete before her birthday so I wrote everything in 90 days wow um, but I had an incredible outline right of of every single component of the business buying processes and say the thinking tree like the trunk was you know valuing a business and a branch was um you know asset valuations and a, and a leaf off of that was the drop downs to, to that and and had probably 50 pages of that type of outline and then wrote it up and um, managed to get it um I didn't want to do uh, self-publishing was just starting so um when I when we went live with the website the ad paid per clicks, the guy who did my website, oh, we're going to do these paper clips. So what the hell is that? He said, oh, no, you go into these websites and you could design a little ad and you pay like a dollar. And if someone clicks on it and they buy your course, but either way, you pay for them to click and come to your website. So, okay, yeah, let's try it. I gave him a thousand bucks and said, you know, run a bunch of ads. And I'm sitting home at night that night. I mean, it's April 23rd, 2001. And I get an email and I see order receipt. And I said, I didn't buy anything. Like people were people were afraid to even put their credit card into, uh, oh, yeah. into a website at that I point. Remember that. I said, 
I said, order receipt? I didn't buy anything. What the heck is that? And I opened it up and I see how to buy a good business at a great price and someone's name in Miami, Florida, of all places, like 40 miles down the road from me. And I said, oh my God, I can't believe I got an order. And that was Overture was the name of that website. You did the pay-per-clicks with Overture. Wow. And isn't that nuts? That is cool. That is cool. So tell me, let's dig into this business buying and selling and all that jazz. When you first were starting out, how did you know where to even look I didn't. to figure out what business to buy to like now you just, there's hundreds of websites to go on to find businesses that are for sale. But I mean, are you knocking on doors? What are you doing? Yeah. What you way back when it was, you know, at businesses for sale were listed typically in the Sunday newspaper in the classified section and in business opportunity section where you had these little ads, but they were, they were really poor ads. I mean, there were three lines because advertising in the classifieds was very expensive at that point. So any business owner or business broker would, would put up their, what they thought were their best listings, but only a limited amount because it used to cost them like, I think about $27 to do that little box ad. And it would just say, you know, something like pizza parlor for sale in, in um you know in Broward County that would you know asking 495 right it was nothing more than that and they'd give you a phone number and they had no information you couldn't get the financials and businesses whether they'd be in retail or other ones I mean they had tons of unreported income it was it was just like uh, every business was almost a mess but it was networking because networking really hasn't changed you become more sophisticated with technology but you went out and you knocked on doors and you spoke to accountants and attorneys and and um, individuals that and business owners and my tactic my first business I happened to acquire something that was in an area um, that I was familiar with in a, a consumer products business. And so that was a little easier because I bought a company from, um, I, I basically become the Eastern Canadian uh, distribution rights for uh, a company that was owned by Hasbro, the toy business at that point. Then it was a company that I was um, affiliated with beforehand. But subsequent to that, it was just, you know, it was through chance encounters. You know, I built my businesses after that, you know, I, I was looking for additional um, uh, acquisitions to build my business. And as I started thinking, hey, this type of thing would make sense for my business. You just did it the old fashioned way. You just went out and spoke to as many people as possible. Do you know someone in this business or do you, if you speak to an attorney, do you know someone who may be doing work for this type of business? And it was an, an unbelievable amount of, of digging. However, that grunt work proved to be terrific training ground. So, you know, but in answer to your part of the earlier question was, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, <laughs> you know, and most people today still don't know what the hell they're doing. And that's what, that's what gets fair. them into trouble. Totally fair. Totally fair. So when you were looking to buy your first business, did you have an idea of what type of business or you're just looking for anything that caught your eye? My first feelings were, I, I you know, my strengths are sales and marketing at that point. I'd, I was um, more in the sales and marketing end of a company where I was working and felt that it had to be sales and marketing driven. I would, I wanted to be in the consumer products business um, because I was dealing with retailers and um, felt that that would be helpful, but was definitely sales and marketing focused. I, as the years went on, I've really learned that where people run into trouble and where I ran into trouble, because I, you know, it's, it's very to tell, great to tell you about a bunch of successes, but you know, I had plenty that uh, that crapped out too, and and what ha what I what I see is, and I try to explain to people is very often people confuse experience with expertise. Meaning, oh, all the time. Meaning, you're in the healthcare business, or you're in the commercial landscaping business, or w whatever it may be, and you believe you're going to go out and you want to buy a business or 
start a business. I'm not a big proponent of starting businesses, but you want to go out and buy a business and you believe, well, I've been in the healthcare field, I got to look for something healthcare. And that's wrong, wrong, wrong. Because that's ex that's experience. It's not expertise. It's what did you do specifically in the healthcare world or in the landscaping world or in the retail world that is your single biggest skill set. And so and I made some mistakes along the way thinking that, you know, you know, that it might be experienced in, in a certain type of industry, but it was whatever it, the, you need to match your greatest skill set with a business that needs that to drive the revenue and profits of the business. That's the, that's the ultimate marriage because you can acquire a good business, but if you're the wrong owner for it, it's going south in a hurry. And similarly, if you find a, a decent business that may not be doing um, exceptionally well, but you're the right person for it, you can grow that business exponentially. And so the mantra that I always use is whatever it is that you do best has to be the single most important driving factor of the revenues and profits of any business you consider purchasing. Because for everything else you can hire or outsource, and especially today. And so digging into that skill set because everybody has that one golden skill set it could be sales it could be marketing it could be logistics it could be putting a plan together it could be operational it could be manufacturing know-how so that's where the focus has to be but at the beginning i mean I, I i i i you know i it took me a while to get there and mistakes are made along the way i mean it's mm -hmm. it's it's just inevitable but if you learn from them they're good mistakes you, you just don't want to make big mistakes it's okay to make small ones you just don't <laughs> want to make monumental ones right Right. Very. Yeah. Mistakes are going to happen regardless. So, right. Yeah. It's the quality of the mistake rather than the, the right. terrible ones. Tell me, so was, or is the idea or was the idea, I guess over the course of 30 years, I imagine it likely changed. Was the idea to buy a business, build it up and sell it kind of like flipping a house kind of thing. Or was the idea to buy a business and Hey, this is, I'm going to retire with this thing. What was the initial goal? I never buy them with the idea of selling them but I always buy them with the idea of building them like I have to sell them so that I'll put proper procedures and systems and, and people into place so that if the time comes that I want to sell it, it, I make it very easy for the buyer because it's a it's 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 good structure and good people in place. And um, But I've never went into the idea with flipping it. And and I understand that philosophy. There's, you know, the P, uh, private equity firms, that's their business, right? They go in, they they you know put some money into business they 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 um, fund it they provide growth capital and they've got to exit it i mean that's their their plan it was never my plan it's still not my plan everybody has their differences you could do both i mean one is they're not uh, you know you can't it's not like you you can only do one at the expense of the other i mean you you grow your business and you know if it's a good business and you know businesses the average business sells every five years so it's probably going to happen but I never went into them with that idea I I you know I love business and I find um, especially if it's something that I haven't done before or it's a new industry I find that intellectually stimulating learning about a new business and even if it has a reasonably steep learning curve as long as I my skill set is what it needs to grow but I've typically my idea philosophy has always you know been going I want to learn about that business I get very involved off operationally for a short period of time and then bring in people all right you know it's interesting because i keep in my head relating this to buying and selling cars so i i used to be a mechanic way back when and i buy and sell cars for fun you fix them up and some you buy because they're toys but eventually they go away you sell them and others i buy just fix up with the intention of getting rid of it but I always make sure that I buy a vehicle when I buy a car, motorcycle, whatever, one that I would not be afraid to keep. Like if I can't sell it, it's all right. I'm okay keeping it. And I keep coming back to this with the business thing. 
it's so interesting because you're like, eh, buy it, not with the intention of selling it, but eventually you can't take care of this many businesses. So something's got to go just as like you can't store all the cars that you want. So some of them have to go kind of thing. It's yeah, well, interesting. I think it's, well, it's, it's very interesting because there's a direct correlation between those two. I mean, it's a perfect analogy. The, the fundamental thing that you said was if you buy it and you have to keep it, you're not buying a piece of crap to start right. with. It, it may need some mechanical work. It may need some tender, loving care and some cosmetics, but you're not buying a piece of garbage, right? Because the piece of garbage is just going to continually be a piece of garbage. And I, that's why I fundamentally believe, I mean, there's no dissuading me on this. I like buying good, solid businesses. I don't believe in buying distressed businesses. I don't believe in buying garbage businesses. I don't believe in buying turnarounds. For some people, they work, but if, you know, especially for an individual who's looking to get into entrepreneurship um, or business owner uh, ownership often for the first time, you there's going to be enough heartburn. You don't, and, it's, and if you don't have experience with turnarounds, don't be buying in a distressed business because there's a reason why the word stress is in the <laughs> middle of that name, right? Because that's what it's going to cause. So it's so very true. similar because, you know, I acquire business or the way I teach people to buy business, you want a good business with solid uh, fundamentals in place that can become uh, uh, terrific and great with you as the new owner. But you want those fundamentals because you, at the beginning, you don't even have, you don't even know, like in the motorcycle case, you don't even know what has to be changed right? You don't know what to even fix. So at the beginning, you have to learn the business. So that's why you want to buy something that's that's solid, that's going to transition well to you, that the learning curve is not too steep. You're going to have an opportunity over six to 12 months to learn the business, get the guts of the business in your belly. Because if you, well, you may keep it, you may not, you may sell it down the road, but you don't want it to be an endless headache. You want to, you know, if you do this right, you get the keys to the business on Monday, you should be able to take a paycheck on Friday. Nice. Okay. So that's like the motorcycle where you buy it on a Monday, but you could still drive it out of the, the guy's place or drive yep. it around. But a couple, you might need an oil change or something minor, but you could drive it on the weekend versus saying, I got to put it up on the, uh, on the rack and, and fix it for the next year. That's not the way I see this being the best way to acquire businesses. And it's proven itself repeatedly. All right. So tell me the big deal when it comes to buying and selling businesses is valuation. So let's go down the road and just talk about how you feel is the best way to value businesses. Cause that's a huge gray area. And I suppose it's just like buying or selling a car, right? People are always thinking, I know what I got. It's worth millions. <laughs> and you're looking at it saying, ah, not so much. Right? To a match, right? Well, valuation is very important. Terms are more important. Oh, okay. So valuations, a few things and provide some, uh, uh, not industry jargon, but just some some ideas to set the stage, if you will. So valuation is more of an art than it is a science. And um, after doing it for as many decades as, as I as I have been, one thing that's uh, been a common denominator throughout is that what a business owner thinks their business is worth rarely has anything to do with the value because <laughs> they've poured a whole lot of blood, sweat, and beers and tears into it. Mm -hmm. And so... Being able to compile a valuation for a small business is really is an art. There is a component of science to it. So what's very important is that the, the valuation that you compile has to be defensible because seller, an individual, let's just take some rough terms. Seller's asking a million dollars for a business. I mean, I don't pay anything. I don't pay any attention to the asking price whatsoever. I mean, to me, it's just like, that's that's just numbers on a page, but they believe that their business should sell for a million dollars. And um, 
you come up with a number that's far less than that. Well, it, your number has to be defensible. Mm -hmm. It has to be defensible um, to, to this, against the seller's argument, their accountant's argument, and their spouse's argument for whatever reason. And it also be asked to be defensible to the point that at some point, the return on the investment won't make sense if you go past a, a certain number. And so what I've done over the years is actually I developed a valuation program that takes the 50 fundamentals related to the business because it's not just numbers. It's, you know, you may have two businesses, two similar businesses, similar industry, uh, repair shop, an auto mechanic repair shop next door to each other. They're both doing a million dollars in revenue and they both make $150,000 in profit. And they're similar location, repair similar type of cars. And you look at them and say, well, makes sense. They're probably both worth a similar amount, right? I mean, James, that makes sense, right? On if paper, sure. It. Yeah. However, what if one of the businesses made $300,000 two years ago, $200,000 last year, and this year made $150,000. And the business next to it last two years ago made $50,000, then $100,000, now $150,000. Well, you know, sure as God created little green apples, I, I certainly want to buy a business that's on its way up, not on the way down. That's the way I look at it. So you have to take into account issues related to um, the, the business, the customers, their concentration issues, how long it's been in business, the conditions of the books and records, how easily, you know, what are the barriers to entry for someone else to come in as competition? What licenses are required to operate the business? What type of financing is in place? What is the condition of the inventory? Is it good and resellable? So there's 50 pieces to the valuation that actually the software that I've developed has become an industry standard where people take the numbers, you take the numbers because the numbers are the numbers. That's, that's the easiest part because numbers don't lie. People lie. The numbers right. are the numbers. Okay. <laughs> so so you, you take the numbers and you plug in the numbers and then you address these 50 individual points related to the business. And they, each one gets different weights. And so that's like the artistic point part of it. The numbers are the science part of it. And you marry it together and be able to come up with a valuation. And it's also got to give you a good return because you have options in your life, what to do with your money, right? Which is on, on the far side of things is you can take it and put it on 17 black at a casino and get 30, <laughs> hope for and, the get best. 30 and hope for the best, give it a rip and get 35 to one return. Or you can, well, one step above keeping it in your mattress, you could put it in a certificate of deposit or a savings account and get a piddly amount of return. And somewhere in that uh, scale from, you know, uh, savings accounts to Las Vegas, you also have the stock market and the stock market will traditionally return 11% historically over time, some years down, some years up, but historically. So that's at 11% and it's very liquid. So if you don't like the investment or it's not doing well or it's doing very well and get out of it, it's a press of a button, you're out of stock. Buying a business is not liquid. You want to sell a business. In the best case scenario, it's going to take nine months to sell your business. I mean, those are industry numbers. So your return as you go down a scale has to be closer to Las Vegas. I'm not saying 35 to one, but having done this for all these years, I believe you got to get about a 25 to 33% return on your cash investment. So you're going to be financing part of this, whether it be with a seller or government programs like the SBA or what have you. Um, but your cash investment, that's the type of return you should get because that's the only thing that makes sense um, relative to other options that are available. Especially, you know, you take a look at the stock market, it's very liquid and you don't have to work. Here you're working the business, it's not liquid. But the returns that you can get are exponential because now you're in charge. First of all, you, you, you get out of a job that you hate because most people can't stand their jobs and you're in control of your own destiny and you're building something of value that... If, if let's say you pay a four times multiple for the business, 
for every dollar of profit you add, you're going to get $4 back when you sell it. So the upside is phenomenal. I'm not going to try to make a great case for take your money and put it in the stock market because I believe infinitely more in buying a business and growing it because it's and the process is much more enjoyable. But even as you increase the profits, the multiples go up. Now, I should also tell you that people, uh, your listeners need to get rid of all the noise related to multiples, buyers and sellers. You know, you read reports from Wall Street and you hear companies selling for 10 times earnings or 35 times projected earnings, whatever. That's all gobbledygook, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's nonsense. It's, it, it doesn't happen in the real world of small businesses. Multiples have increased somewhat in small Main Street USA businesses, but they're still, you know, a couple of times. They're one to three times. You know, if you start earning- One to three yeah, businesses earning over about half a million dollars, that moves up a little bit, two to four. Businesses over a million might be, you know, um, three to five. But you take a you know, smaller business, that that's the range. So even at five times, if you were to pay all cash, you would be getting a 20% return on your money. Yes, you're working the business. I agree with that. You're working the business. But you're working it because you don't want to work for someone else anymore. Mm-hmm right? And you're still getting the, so if you buy a business at five times, it's making $200,000 and you give them a million dollars, which I would never suggest anybody does. And you're getting back $200,000 every year. You got a 20% return on your investment. And if you build it up to 250, you could sell it for a million 250. So valuations, it, you have to take a lot into account, but people should not get, buyers especially can't get too neurotic because if you get so hung up on a on, on a number or regiment or rules or regimented um, ideas of I'm not going to pay more than this, right? Well, you're going to miss some opportunities. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, it's nothing. There's nothing wrong with paying a premium for a good business because a shit business is never cheap enough. Ah, <laughs> sure, it could be a buck, and it's still terrible. It's still terrible. So you have to look and say, "Hey, okay, I've done all my math. I've done all the work. I've done all the formulas. I this business is worth a hundred thousand dollars, and they want one fifty. And I got to say, how am I going to do this? Why does it make sense? And as long as you can service the debt or what have you, you look at it and say, "Hey, I'm 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 going to get into a, a business, something that I'm going to really enjoy. I get a chance to be my own boss. I could improve the life of other people, improve my own lifestyle. There's no limit to how much I can earn." If I build this properly, when the time comes to sell, I'm going to get all that money back plus more. And so you have to look and say, okay, I'm going to take all these altruistic pieces, which can be realistic and say, these are all these phenomenal benefits that I stand to achieve by acquiring the business. So so who the hell cares if I pay a little more? Big deal. All right. I like it. All it. right. I like the way you're answering. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's not just, like Matthew know, McConaughey, right? All inter- right. All right. Well, all right. It's interesting because I've been involved in uh, four businesses being bought and sold, mostly helping, well, mostly helping buyers and sellers. I sold one of my own and it was one of those, um, I couldn't get over it. The job, the business that I was selling the first one, I had done, I knew that I wanted to sell it. So I did everything I could to remove myself from the business. Cause I didn't want to sell a job. Oh yeah. Right. Brilliant. And well, it on paper, it was great, yeah. but it was small, tiny business. We're doing, I don't know what we're doing. Maybe 500, 600,000 a year, something like that in revenue. So tiny, it's tiny business. I had a couple employees and I was talking to a buyer and over the course of three months, I lost those two employees. So then it was just down to me. 
Now, did you lose those employees because they knew the business was for sale or they you just lost them because they moved on to other things? Oh, uh, they moved on. They moved on. Okay. One guy quit and another guy I helped out the door. Yeah. <laughs> okay, because some it's a it's a fear of sellers, right? I mean, if people find out, my people will will quit, yeah. which is which is not the case. It's actually the complete opposite. But so in those in that case, mm -hmm. you when I say the complete opposite is because a new owner needs the employees more than an old owner does. The new owner knows nothing about anything. They don't even know how to right. turn on the coffee machine. So right. the employees' job and they don't know the flaws of the employees yet. And so mm -hmm. they, their jobs are pretty safe. But when you had those buyers go or those employees go away, and now you have a one man. You're a one-man yeah. band, mm -hmm. so you have to build the business back up again, or you just have to sell it substantially uh, lower than what you thought you were going to get. No, to. no, no, no. I, I was able to maintain revenue because with those employees, I had it set up where I wasn't really needed in the business. Wonderful. So, so it sucked because so I had to go back to work then, so then I was more motivated to sell it. Well, you're more motivated, and for someone coming into looking to buy it, it's even more attractive because the learning curve for them say, hey, they've got management in place or people in place. And, um, you know, that that reduces someone's learning curve, which provides a high degree of comfort. And some people look for some absentee run businesses, with a, which is a whole different subject matter. But when you went back in and got involved, you so you immersed yourself back in the business. Yeah, it was I'd been doing it for years, so it was right. easy. Yeah. And it what happened easy. after that? Uh, then the buying, it was a very, very, very long. I want to say it was eight hour negotiation. One day it was one of the most memorable, painful <laughs> and happy days of my life because, you know, you sell a business. I own that business for eight years or a month shy of eight years. I started it from scratch, whatever. So it was interesting because he had, he, the buyer, he had two accountants and he had one attorney that he was bouncing between well, plus his daughter trying to do all this well, stuff. Yeah. And I just had me. <laughs> and <laughs> I had an attorney that was essentially just waiting so that when they presented the buying documents. I could give it to him and say, Hey, is this legit? Move on with their life. Right. But it was, it was very interesting just to see the process and how I'm like, I feel like neither one of us know what we're doing. And I, I feel like we, I got an okay deal. I think, I think it could have been better, but I didn't really shop it and they didn't necessarily shop it. So. And how did you find your buyer? Uh, they were a business. They were a similar business that I had worked with. I used them before. Oh, okay. So it was in the printer repair, copier industry. They're in the copier industry. I was more on the printer side. So it was a very easy, they already had technicians that could absorb the business painlessly. Well, semi-painless. With a little <laughs> pain. There's always a little pain. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't terrible or anything like that, but it was very interesting just to see it because you read about it and that's the, you know, it's interesting when I first started that business. Uh, it was my first business, real business that I ever started. And I didn't think of an end game. And I remember being into it for maybe three, four years and thinking, am I going to do this until I die? Or what? <laughs> like, I got to figure out a plan here to get out of this. And Whether that's 20 years down the road or two or weeks whenever, or whatever. Yeah. And it's a, it's so important because most people don't. Yeah. And, and you know, what's what I always find fascinating about all this when I, Oftentimes on the on the M and A side where I represent some sellers because I do I do some as I mentioned earlier some uh, intermediary work, and very often my work takes me, you know, three six twelve months of 
advisory work with a business owner before the business is ready to market. I never believe in taking a business to market that's not ready to sell. I'm not just, uh-huh. you know, like typical, like, you know, most, and I don't want to disparage. Well, I'd say I'm going to disparage business brokers because I'm with, in that fraternity, if you will, at a higher end. But what typically happens, they just throw businesses for sale that aren't ready for to be sold. And that's why the majority, like if you go to these biz buy sell online databases of the world, 75% of those businesses never get sold because they're not ready to be sold. And what happens when I, when I sit down with the seller, say they're, you know, if you put certain things into place, right, you should run your business like you have to sell it. Not You may not sell it, but you should have to run it like you have to sell it. And what that means is the things that are concerned to you or things that are important to buyers should be addressed early on because it's going to make you a better business. For example, good books and records. Good books and records are just going to give you a better pulse in your business, mm-hmm. number one. And a buyer is always going to look at it because most deals fall apart because the books and records that the seller can't validate what they've initially represented. The second piece is related to issues in the business. Like what keeps you up at night about your business is going to keep a, a buyer up at night about buying it times the power of 10. So it could be customer concentration or recruiting good employees, retaining good employees, um, s- certain competitors, whatever those issues or issue are, issue is, that's going to be magnified for a buyer, right? Because you know the business. So if you have one customer represents 60% of your business, you may not be worried. Ah, no, I've been dealing with Bob for, you know, for, for 20 years. I mean, we're buddies. I mean, I'm not worried his business is not going away. Well, you know, Bob can get hit by, by Bob can get hit by a Pepsi truck tomorrow. So, mm-hmm. you know, but it's also a concern when you think about this realistically, that should be a concern for your business. And that's going to be a massive concern for someone coming in. So you want to, you know, mitigate the mitigate that and and remove that that or reduce that customer concentration, and the, the and that'll help your business. Another thing is like you had in your in your business that you're referring to easier uh, earlier. If you have a second tier of management in place, and they may not have to be at your level, but they could operate the business because the same question of you know well. Now, what if James gets hit by the same Pepsi truck after Bob gets hit, right? What happens to the business? What happens to the business? And if someone could, knowing that that business can still operate, well, that brings comfort to a buyer knowing that the employees are in place. And the third piece of this is, you know, the greater the buyer pool, meaning in numbers, the greater your chances of not only selling the business, but selling it for the highest price possible. Mm-hmm. And so if you have these problems in your business that you may not even believe they're problems, but certainly those first two areas of good books and records and what keeps you up at night or, pro- you know, issues for the business, if you can solve for those, well, your buyer pool expands because more people will find that business attractive. And the greater the buyer pool, the larger your, your purchase price more often than not, actually in a greater percentage of cases. So you, you should run your business like you want to sell it. Doesn't mean you're, you have to, or you're ever going to. But if you put processes, systems, procedures, and people into place, your business is going to do better. It's like, for example, people st- taking out every penny from their business, right? You start mm-hmm. off a business, you started, <laughs> you started your business and it started from nothing. And as it grew, most like what happens to most people say, oh, wow, I can't believe I'm able to take out a hundred grand now. And then business grows and you say, well, I could take out 150 and it keeps growing. You say, geez, look at that. I could take out 200 and 250. And then you got a boat and a bike and a motorcycle and all these kinds of things. And you're, you keep adjusting your lifestyle for the business. Well, the reality is if you can keep living on the 150 and take the other hundred thousand and plow it into marketing or whatever that may be, or additional people. And if mm-hmm. those people can return some profit, remember for every dollar you you generate out of it, you're going to get three, four, five times, five dollars for it. And so running it like you have to sell it, 
meaning putting money back into the business and don't let it turn into a lifestyle business because very often I see it every single day. People who have a, biz, a, a business that um, is throwing off a lot of money, they have a terrific lifestyle and they have no structure in place. There's oh, no are you people. kidding? Nope. Oh, oh it's, it's far more frequent than not. More, No second tier management, no process. They didn't invest in software like they should have they didn't bring in a manager they you know they they just kept running the business and kept improving their own lifestyle and they lead a beautiful life and a fancy car nice house and great vacations but someone coming in to buy the business say hey wait, wait a minute there's no structure in this place mm. you're taking out all the money you don't even have a proper marketing plan you don't have you know you, the people that you have working for you are all they're okay they're all nice but they're second rate people whereas Instead of you could have taken a hundred, two hundred grand and hire a couple of people, really good people, and that would have made a substantial difference to your business and easier for someone to come in. So people, you know, they the business grows and then they just keep putting more money into their pocket, which is yes, it's the idea of business. But if you take a step back and look at it and say, Can I be better served by putting the business money back into the business and growing this thing? Right. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I laugh and say you're crazy at first, but now that I'm thinking about it, with my call answering service business, the majority of clients or even potential clients that we work with, when they first start with us, uh, they don't have systems for much, if any. That's why they're calling you. Yeah. Yeah, which is good. I mean, it's yeah, great for it's us. Good. and that's Good for them. That's good our for job, you, but, but, but look at this <laughs> from a selling perspective, right? And I yeah, think you find that, you know, you're a, you know, you, you get business. I mean, you've been in it. You understand. He has great questions. I'm sure if you start, you know, tapping into some scenarios that you've had exposure to businesses and realize ones that sold for more or ones that sold for less and what they had in common or things that the ones that sold for less were missing are those components we just talked about. And it's hard for, you know, I get, I get it. I've been there, right? You're a business owner and you, you struggled like hell at the beginning and now the business is doing well. You want to reap the rewards of it. And that's part, a big part of why you go into your own business and deal with the, you know, it's not all uh, pixie dust and unicorns. You're going to have some, you know, you're going to have some I'm still looking for the pixie dust. <laughs> yeah, me too. And, you know, like I, I was, I was on a show, uh, an interview earlier today and they, we were talking about challenges or whatever, saying, you know, people who, who should get into these type of scenarios are thinking about buying a business. Say there's always, you know, there's heartburn and, and, and aggravation with running a business. It's not all smooth sailing. Said, I can't even tell you how many times I went to bed on Monday night, had no clue how I'm going to make payroll on Friday. I mean, that's just part of it. I remember those days. Thankfully, they're they're well but, past. But yes, amen. I to definitely that. remember those days where I yeah. remember depositing money from my personal account into the business, thinking this is the wrong direction for money to flow. 100% the wrong way. I'm I did the paying same thing. to keep my job. That's yeah, what was going I, on. You know, I remember doing it and my accountant said, you should never do it. I said, okay, so then you do it because I got to pay people on Friday. Yeah, right? Like payroll's got to be made. That's bottom That's line. It. I, yeah, sometimes you, you know, sometimes it really takes just one nostril above the water and you do what you have to do. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. so true. Yeah, the rule is systematize everything. And that's one, I guess, from my perspective, so that the, your employees know what to do and the business can run smoothly. But also, if at any given time you wanna you wanna sell it, that you actually have something to give the buyer to say, this is how we do things here, and it's not just up here; it's actually documented. That's so right, that, and that's right, and that's a it. great point. And you know, when you say when you're pointing up here, 
you know, you don't want all the assets of the business between be, be, to be between the ears of the owner and leave it right. at five o'clock every day because those aren't assets, mm -mm. right? Those are really not assets. So being able to put those into systems and, and make it um, something so it could be either duplicated, expanded upon, or handled by someone else. That's critical. And so many, you know, you've heard the expression, well, you know, I looked at this business, you know, the owner is, is the owner to business. Yeah, well, to a certain extent, they're always going to be. But the more you can solve for that and reduce that, the greater, the, you know, the, the greater your chances for exiting. Plus, you'll have a better business. And you'll be able to have more time away from it. I can't even tell you how many times I've been in meetings with business owners and like, you can't even have a meeting with them, right? The employees oh, on the are, phone? the fun, the phone, the employees are coming in 12 different times. And I, one question I always like to ask a business owner um, is how much vacation do you take? And the other way, and their first, I know that their knee jerk reaction is to that question is this guy hasn't even got the keys to the place yet he's looking to take time off right? I mean, <laughs> but it's not that at all it's it's an indication of how good your business is run because if you could take all kinds of time i had a client recently took 120 days a year vacation that's impressive yep that is extremely impressive kudos to great? them kudos yeah. to them so that's an extreme case but you'll have ones you know similarly i had one client said i haven't taken a vacation in 14 years and was proud of it I said, Are you oh, kidding? yeah, no, I said, you can't even find a building large enough for me to jump from if that's the way I had to work. So 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 somewhere in between, it's like you, you want to know that because that could be an indication of someone could be a workaholic. I mean, that's possible, too. It could mm -hmm. be a case of there's there's no systems in place and they, they make all the decisions and that the only way the business could run is if they're there. Or the third way is they don't trust the employees mm. and trusting the employees doesn't mean that they may not they may be trustworthy. But the owner hasn't given them the latitude to run their little area of what they're responsible for. So they may be more than capable, but they're just the wrong owner. And so they don't believe, you know, when I say trust, it's not just that they're going to, it's not a case of saying they're just going to steal. It's a case of trust them to do the job without their, you know, micromanaging. And you see that in a lot of small businesses. And, um, you know, the, again, I, I, I think about it as we're talking, I mean, just recent situations where the, 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 you couldn't even ask this guy questions like oh. I'm sitting there for a one hour meeting, which, which I, when I think about it, it should have taken 15 minutes because the phone was <laughs> looking, look at his text answering call. I just got to get this. It's a customer. I just like, if you oh, can't no. do that, that that's just, you just have not set yourself up well. And it's so easy to overcome. Was this a meeting that you were going to buy or considering yeah. buying? Oh yeah, yeah no. And, and that was the last meeting. No, oh, no. Yeah, Good luck. Want, Sorry no, about the heart yeah, attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's on its way. I, I I have no interest in that. I mean, gotcha. you can correct for some of that, but the culture that's built been built into a business like that. Can you imagine if it is a case that the you know you dig in and you find those? Hey, these are good employees. They just haven't been trusted um, to do their job well. Well, chances are they've been so micromanaged. They've been so beat up. They probably would have difficulty operating with autonomy. True, true, very true. You know, it's interesting, the employees that I have, I'm thinking about this, like, where am I guilty here? And a lot of times it's very tough to judge, certainly tough to judge in a job interview when you're hiring someone, what are their skill sets? What do they know? Where's the foundation that we're starting from if we hire this person? Really quick example from earlier this week, 
we had a company meeting and I asked the crew, it was over Zoom, and I asked the crew, I wrote down a word. I had everybody mute their microphones because I didn't want somebody to blurt it out. I said, I'm going to write a word here and I want you to let me know if you pronounce it with a long A or a short A. Okay. Because this this particular, the idea was that we had some, we had a client that a lot of the crew was mispronouncing the name of the company they were answering the phone for. And to oh, me, okay. Okay. To so, me, you're the, so you're saying the, the company itself, people that were answering the phone or the third party that was answering the phone was mispronouncing the company's name. Correct. Yep. Got it. So big deal. Big deal. To be. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. So it's like call answering, call answering 101, right? So I said, Hey, here's a word, typical everyday word, short A or long A. And out of, uh, we got 12 people, seven of them ish. I mean, just ballparking. We're fine. They're, you know, long A. Two people said, I don't know what you're asking. What's a long A and a short A? And that's, I did that. I was like, wait, whoa, no, that's not. Wow. I thought our foundation was up here for a couple of years down here. Or lower. Yeah. So I went to find a video to explain short A and long A. And all I could find is ones with like little ponies and hearts and stuff like that. And I didn't want to be insulting to the crew. So I was like, okay, I had to find an image on the, on a website that didn't look like it was built for a nursery school. Right. Or you actually, you may, you might've been better served showing them something that was built for a nursery <laughs> school. This is all I could find. <laughs> this is all you could find. And it's probably, it seems like it's a little more appropriate at this point. Yeah. So it's interesting just trying to figure out, I am having a hard time, or I guess have had a hard time finding out where's the crew individually at so that I can say, Hey, person, employee, you are super smart and doing really well. So I'm going to give you some more responsibilities. It's been challenging for me. I don't know how it's been for other people, but just trying well, to read into that. Well, employees, if you, there's, um, there's, it's, it's an ongoing effort and there's certain things that you see successful companies have in place where employees flourish. There's always going to be some employees that just are not the right people. Mm -hmm. Right. And you do yourself as a business owner and the employee, a terrible disservice by keeping them on board. You're doing Great. both of you a favor by getting rid of them because they mm -hmm. can go on to something where they can hopefully have an opportunity to flourish and you can get the right person onto the bus and get the wrong and they get the wrong one off. Um, the, the training is critical and, and the ongoing training and the ongoing measurement is critical because my guess is in the business that you're in, had you done that exercise weekly over the years with all new employees, those statistics would have been the same on every single phone call. I'm willing to bet that. And it's because some people, and well, to me, the deeper thing is to the ones who mispronounced it is where did you get this name from, right? How did you arrive at that? Well, no one told me the company name. I used to have an answering service in my company, which is DOMO. It's the abbreviation for doing it on my own. And I once called my oh. own answering service. And I once, once called my own answering service and they answered the phone, DIOMO Corporation. Ah! Perfect example. Thought, oh, right. And, and I always do it phonetically for people. And I grew up, I started this company originally in Canada and in Quebec, where you have the language issue, French and English. So I wanted to name it something that worked in both languages, but it had to be a meaningful name. And, and this was my first company. That's where I came up with doing it on my own. And it worked Diomo and it didn't sound English, didn't sound French, sort of sounded Italian, but I had this people answering it the wrong way. But 
you know, for, for the situation that you just pointed out, if you were to do a Venn diagram of why these things that happen is probably the intersection of that would be a lack of training and a lack of super yeah, you, lack of supervisor talking to them or listening in. And it's yeah, very you hard to blame the top. It. You got to you you blame, blame the top, but it's also easy as time goes on. Sometimes you make assumptions that like, mm -hmm. that was like the most basic thing that anybody in your company could do, right? Is mm -hmm. answer the phone properly. I mean, that like, you don't even think about it. Like, of course they know the company name. That's what we do. Like, if you're going to screw up anything, don't be, it, let it not be that. So there you it's, go. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like you look at it and say, you wouldn't even think that you have to invest time into finding out if that's a problem because it's you made the assumption it's not and mm -hmm. so you know the the oversight and some people don't care so i mean but you have a small percentage of those employees and it is very difficult to your earlier question or, or point with during the interviews you really don't know i mean if i've hired some people that like i would have bet on would have been terrific i hired one person that i i was sure that this guy was going to be unbelievable unbelievable in a sales capacity. I mean, the interview, it could not have been better. On a scale of one to 10, it was like a 15. And this guy got hired. And after three months, like he was a disaster. Oh, An no. absolute disaster. And and it took me a long time to get good at hiring because I really wasn't good. I used to have a tendency to uh, um, hire people that I really, really got on with and, and liked versus really double clicking on their, their qualifications for the job. So I tried to get a little better over the years. And when I brought this guy in after the, like 90 days, maybe it was a little longer, say, I don't know, I won't say his name because he'll know who he is. I uh, said, like, I don't understand. I thought you were like perfect for the job, like based on, you know, and walking through some of the things and how I came up with my evaluation. And his answer to me was, he said, I interview very well. I've been and told I, that at least three times. And I, and I said to him, yeah, it's like, but you screwed up everything after that. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, but I blame myself. I mean, mm -hmm. because I, I had the tendency to, he did interview well. It was, and, and, and I liked him and, and he, what he said was good. And I'm not so sure how in every case you, you quantify everything very often. I think you need second and third interviews. What I did, cause I, I was never good at interviewing people. I mean, again, for that particular reason, maybe just from a personality side, if I like someone and got a good vibe from them and thought they were good and they, the resume seemed to measure up, I want to give them a shot. But for me, anyways, it really took saying, okay, you know what, uh, Mr. Parker, you're not very good at this. And so you've got to bring in someone else to do the hiring and sometimes two or three people to do the interviewing. And you got to, the people that you, that you trust their opinion. And even if it's against what you think, you, I have a track record of not hiring the right people. And so I've got to remove that responsibility because I'm just no damn good at it. Fair. Totally fair. Totally fair. I know we don't have a ton of time left, so I want to dig into this last point. You buy a business, figure out pricing and all that jazz. Now you are, are you treating yourself as the manager, boss, CEO person, or are you keeping that original owner on for a little time? Or tell me about the transition from the employee standpoint, the seller standpoint and your standpoint. So I've done, I do, I do both cases. I do like to get immersed in the business, even if I'm, I'm I'm investing and might be buying a majority control, but keeping the owner in place, like mini version of private equity. 
because I like to be able to, I, I want to learn the business because if that individual leaves or is the wrong person, I have to know what that business is about and who would be the right person, even though I'm not good at hiring, make sure I can get the right person into place. And I like to know about the business, especially because we're going to make some investments in technology or people or expand the business. I got, I, I've got to get the guts of the business in my belly and it takes a little bit of time, but I do get immersed and sometimes I'll, you know, I'm, I'm not involved at all day to day and that's fine too. And they're capable people. Um, I do not believe in absentee run businesses like this delusion of you're going to buy a business and, and it happens more in the smaller side and you see these alleged quote gurus unquote you know selling these programs buying businesses for no money down and it's going to be an absentee run business well generally speaking absentee run businesses equal absentee run profits right mm -hmm. and so you have to learn the business because even if you have a manager in place if that manager quits after three months and you don't know the business who the hell are you supposed to hire you don't even know who to hire so i've done i do both scenarios but i where I, from my perspective, especially on the smaller side, you've got to get involved in the business. So I like to change shares with the owners more often than not. I learn the business. There's a transition period. Once I feel comfortable, I want to get them to hell out. It's my business. I don't need them there. They usually cause more harm than good. <laughs> and so, um, but in other cases where buying a majority control or just investing in the business, they stay on board where you're, um, you know, you're, you're betting on them to, with your with my capital that can, can grow the business, but whittling it down to the lower level of small businesses, Main Street USA, more individuals that are typically going to buy businesses, as long as the numbers are thrown off that allow them to leave their um, present job, then I say, you know, you've got to get, go in there and get involved because that's the only way to learn it. And the truth is it's really the only way to grow it. And once you get to a certain stage, then you can start adding more people or, you know, removing yourself a, a somewhat from the equation, but you can't make decisions about the business until you know the business. Fair. Totally fair. Totally fair. One last thing I want to ask about is financing. Are you giving owners a bag of money? Are you talking to the bank and saying, Hey, give that owner a bag of money or how are you, how are you moving the cash or maybe it's even seller finance or something like that. What is typical and what do you like to see? 91% of our clients deals include seller financing. I always buy a belt, a business with a component of seller financing. Um, it may, it, it varies greatly and it could be as high as 90% or as low as 10 or 15 or 20. Um, it depends on the business and it depends on, you know, what can be negotiated. I like to keep an owner on the hook because it's the only way to truly validate everything that they've represented. When they have skin in the game, they have to have skin in the game. I wouldn't buy a business without seller financing. Uh, right. not, regardless of what a component, there's got to be a piece of it or else I wouldn't buy the business. Um, but there are right now, there's tremendous government programs for smaller businesses, SBA programs that will end up to $5 million. Um, and, and their criteria has become very buyer favorable. So it encourages people. And if anybody's thinking about that, they feel free to send me an email and I can put them on to someone who could, who could more than likely help them. I, I don't get a fee for any of that. So I don't want them to think this is self-serving, but there are some great resources. So I do a combination. I, I have to have seller financing in place and often go to the bank. And other times I do earnouts where it's a business that's either, um, you know, right now you could do terrific performance-based deals because of what's happened in the marketplace over the last few years. So I like to have an earnout component where it makes sense that the you know seller gets X as long as Y happens within a certain period of time. And so mm -hmm. it's a combination, all of the above, but financing a business is, 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 is doable, 
right? You're not going to walk into a local, an individual who's never bought a business before is not looking at walking into your local Bank of America branch and they're writing and they're going to finance their business. It just doesn't happen. It's not like those ads on TV. You think the, the ads on TV, it's a whole different story. It doesn't happen. If you don't have 100% collateral, they're not lending you the money. But there's oh, many other ways to do it and it is doable. But the big, the, one of the big points on this topic is if you're looking to acquire a business, you got to get busy with the financing early. Like you don't want to look at this business done in a little investigation, initial due diligence, agreed upon price and terms, and then um, try to figure out where you're going to get the money. You've got to organize that in advance. And especially if it's coming from friends and family or, or an investor to make sure when they need to write the check that they're going to be there to write the check. So I All would right. say on the small end, you know, as a, uh, a couple of bullet points, I absolutely <laughs> want to see seller financing in place. Deals are financed often through um, third-party lenders, um, but you need a track record. The SBA is a, is, is a good vehicle. And if that's not available to you, then I go down the road of absolutely financing it with, with the seller. And then you're putting a down payment on the business because you're not going to buy anything meaningful for no money down. It just doesn't exist. Despite all the raw, raw, wonderful things you see on YouTube and Instagram. It just, <laughs> right. it just when, you, when you start breathing air from this planet, I'll tell you that's just not, you know, that's not the way it goes. But seller financing is a, uh, a huge piece if the traditional you know, banks or SBA programs are not available to you. Because very often that's the only way the seller is going to get the business sold. And as a buyer, you want the you 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 want them to have skin in the game. Fair, totally fair. Yeah, as a seller, I want to pull the shoot as fast as possible because yes. I got I want to move to Florida or whatever. Come on, I got room here. It's um, <laughs> it's um, it 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 sounds great as a seller. Yes, you you'd like to sell a business for all cash, but it just doesn't happen often. And you're going to take a real haircut if 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 you're going to try to sell it for all cash. And if you take a look at me here, I can't afford to take ah. a haircut. <laughs> and um, so, but it's not, that's why you got to operate in the real world. Seller mm -hmm. financing and the lower end of the market is always has been, always will be a big piece of it. And more often than not, that's what it takes to get the deal to the finish line. And so a seller, you want to make sure that the buyer is um, the right person to buy the business. And keep in mind, if you think you're selling, if you're selling someone a garbage business and you think you're a great price, well, they're going to have garbage too and you're not going to get paid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one deal that I had where I sold my own business, I financed it. I didn't like it, but, but it was also it. one of the... What's that? But you did it. I did it. I Yeah, I, I knew the guy and I've known him for years. So it was one of those... There's trust on both ends. Right. I had a little bit of worry that um, that he would flake. And I thought, well, then what do I do? Because then the business essentially goes away and there wasn't any. I mean, there were assets, but we're talking a few thousand dollars of assets. There wasn't. Right. The business was not assets. Um, so I had a little bit of concern. But on the other end, I wanted out. <laughs> and that's what it took. To, right. And that's what it took to get to the finish line. And mm -hmm. sometimes sellers have to look at and say, OK, you know, if you got to develop that trust. I mean, if you, you know, if you try trust and like each other and the seller wants to sell and the buyer wants to buy, you can't stop them from getting a deal done. They'll figure out how to get it done. But sometimes yeah. it's a case of, mm -hmm. Hey, you know, I need you to come in here and work here for, for three months or maybe buy a smaller piece and mm -hmm. maybe make sure you're the right person to um, sell the business to. But if you're getting a, a meaningful down payment and you're going to have to finance it in order to get the finish line, cause that's what it takes. I mean, mm -hmm. there's just, there's, there's no, there, there's no getting around that. And no. if, if there's not a third party lender that that's going to finance that business. So you better be prepared because that's that's part of small business transactions. I'm even seeing on the higher side involved in a transaction recently. It's well over $20 million. And it was a private equity firm. 
And it was one of the first deals where they, because the banks are lending less money as a percentage or a ratio, because they do it based on a multiple of earnings, right? If mm -hmm. the business makes a million dollars, they used to lend three, four, five times that number as part of the total purchase price. Now they're down to one to two. So someone has to bridge that gap, meaning the, the buyers have to put in more cash, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, but they're looking at sellers to provide some financing, which I never used to see in the larger deals wow. at all. And now it's now it's part of it. I mean, it's the only way to get it to the finish line. So it's 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 accepted, it's common, it's normal. And at the end of the day, you want to get a deal done, you better be prepared to finance. So make sure All you right. find the right buyer. Tell me just really quick about um, oh my gosh, the points. Um, I have known recently a couple of companies actually coincidentally were in the construction-ish business, electrician, roofer. And the guys just retired, closed up shop. And these were businesses that had to be doing high sixes, low seven figures, had employees and stuff like that. And I asked buddies, I'm like, why wouldn't they even try to sell? Even if they're going to be like, hey, here's the business. It's doing a million to $20,000 and it's yours. There's some dirt number, right? Right. <laughs> Instead of just closing it up and selling the trucks and being like, I'm retired now. And I, and I must tell you, James, the, the, um, those industries are exploding mm -hmm. with valuations. The valuations have gone out of control in home services, business services, HVAC, plumbing, electric, electrical, crazy. The multiples have gone bonkers because there's some roll-ups going on. But yes, I agree with it wholeheartedly. If you have a business and for whatever asinine reason, you don't want to go through the process of selling. Right. And sometimes it could be you don't have a choice. It could be, you know, health reasons or whatever. And you, I, I get that. But let's assume you don't want to go through the process at all. I mean, to your point, if you have employees, hey, I'll tell you what, guys, I'm good. And you're, you know, they're, they're doing a million dollars a year and the owner's taking out 150 grand or whatever the number is. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, guys, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you the business. You just pay me 50 grand a year for the next 10 years. And if you run into any difficulty, I just want access to the, your end statements or the ability to audit, but if not, the business is yours, right? One employee, two employees, all the employees, whatever the case may be. I mean, to just shut the doors on a business, unless it's a, again, a health reason or something along those lines, even if you don't need the money, right? Let's say you don't need the money. To me, it's like, what better gift can you give your employees? Right. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, what, what, what nicer way to say thank you for all your years of service? If you don't want the money, well, that's fine. Good for you. But, you know, get, I, I mean, it, it's mind boggling to me that someone would do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard it recently a few times and I've heard of it. Uh, another company is a roofing company that had to be, uh, I would say they had to be multiple two digit million dollars. I don't know. What does that make it? Eight hey, digits? if you find another one like that, I'll <laughs> buy it with you. I'll send it. I heard, I heard about that particular one. I think three months after the fact, and I was like, "Well, I would have bought what? the like, trucks, get on? the website no, going, and let's." No make problem. Some money you have, I, you don't even have to call me if you find <laughs> one like that, and they're profitable, and they have employees in place. Yeah, let's. I, I'm in with you. All right, you got it, Richard. You got it. Perfect, Richard. I appreciate you being on the show. Can you tell us a uh, website or how people can find you? 
Okay, thank you again. And I appreciate you having me. It was a great conversation. The easiest website, if people go to richardparker.com, I have hundreds and hundreds of free articles and reports related to buying businesses that I'm sure people will find very, very helpful. We have our guide that I that we sell that's as mentioned sold uh, over 100,000 copies of this thing. If people are looking to buy a business want to get right to that, that's all. You could find it through richardparker.com, but it's also on Diomo, doing it on my own, diomo.com. And it's under 200 bucks. And the nice thing about that is I let people, um, I'm happy to have them call me or email me and I get on the phone. I spend all, outside of having these wonderful conversations with people such as yourself, I spend my days on the phone and email answering buyer questions and I never charge them. I mean, this is how I get my 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 jollies at this stage in my life. And so um, they can find it either way. But if they're just looking for good information and think trying to figure out if this may or may not be for them, go to richardparker.com. You get more, they'll have more articles and free information in there that they have time to even digest. That is awesome. I love it. I love the name. I didn't even think to ask you about the name, but doing it on my own. Yes. That's pure genius. Pure genius. And I've sold a number of companies. I've never sell that name. And oh, I've, gotten nice. into, I've gotten into a couple of battles with people because other a couple of companies that had derivatives of it and say, I'm not selling that name. I mean, it will at one point or if someone walks in with a big enough bag of cash, but I mean, it's really meaningful to me because when I, I went into my own business, you know, to start that, that, that name was, it, it, it holds a, uh, a lot of value to me. I get it. I get it right there. Right. I love it. Right there is right. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you. This has been Authentic Business Adventures, the business program that brings you the struggle stories and triumphant successes of business owners across the land. We are locally underwritten by the Bank of Sun Prairie. If you are listening or watching this on the web, if you could do us a huge favor, subscribe, give it a big old thumbs up, comment, and best of all, share it with your entrepreneurial friends, especially those that may be looking to either sell or even to buy a business. Richard is the man to chat with here. Richard, can you tell us that website one more time? RichardParker.com. Perfect. My name is James Kateman and Authentic Business Adventures is brought to you by Calls on Call, offering call answering and receptionist services for service businesses across the country on the web at callsoncall.com, as well as the Bold Business Book, a book for the entrepreneur in all of us, available wherever fine books are sold. We'd like to thank you, our wonderful listeners, as well as our guest, Richard Parker from Diomo Corporation, the Business Buyer Resource Center. Richard, I'm in love with that name. That's amazing. Beautiful. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, this is good times. Past episodes really quick. Can be found morning, noon, and night podcast link. Found at drawincustomers.com. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. I want you to stay awesome. And if you do nothing else, enjoy your business.